tomorrow the world. Welcome to The Bull and the Badger. This is Vanessa. I am the Badger. And I am April. I am the Bull. And welcome to The Bull and the Badger. Oh, we just broke some copyright laws. Um, basically, this is our podcast where Asian American culture and mental health intersect. Um, yep, April's still laughing. Oh, it's getting hot already. No, you can't be sweating already. Rep sweats. We should talk about that eventually. Rep sweats. Um, So uh, basically, uh, we are here today to talk about fitting in. And actually, this is kind of a relevant discussion with Fresh Off the Boat coming um, to television just this past week. That kind of dates our episode. Yeah, we recorded it. (laughs) But you know the score. (laughs) We record things and then we take some time editing and then we release it. What are you talking about? It's been been a few episodes already. Yeah, (laughs) true. Remember that one thing that happened in the fourth episode? Which were all recorded concurrently. When, when Eddie couldn't quite fit in and so his parents came to rescue him. Yeah, it was that episode. <laughs> it was the one where he was in Florida trying to fit in with hip-hop. I wish the audio could capture you biting your lower lip. <laughs> it, we'll, we'll have a like a... Mischievously biting your lower lip. Yeah. We, we pretend. <laughs> um, <clears throat> excuse me. Well, um, we like to start off with a story, and you you thought of one that made me laugh a lot. So, well, it's, the thing is, it wasn't a story, right? It was well, like, you know, fitting in a lot of times when we're younger, it has to do with you know wearing the right clothes and listening to the right music lots and all that of stuff. Material <laughs> objects. I mean, um, before I launch into my story, uh, one thing. Okay, name one item of clothing or one trend that you just couldn't get into, like growing up couldn't get into yeah you're just like oh, i don't want to do it i don't want to even if it cost me like i don't know i mean i went the distance to to fit in fashion wise oh shoot i was just, i mean like, we so wore aware. we wore like our our pajamas to remember when pajama pants like yeah. wearing them as my parents pants? would like they refused like, they're like you are not pants. wearing pajamas to school like yeah they were so angry like, i got the level. barn jacket from uh what from uh ll bean i think it was What's or maybe j crew just like a Jacket that no one in California, at least in lower in Southern California, needs to wear. It's like, it like a, a barn jacket. Like, if no. you own horses <laughs> in a cold place, you would own this jacket. Oh, it's like, is it like It's leather? khaki and it has oh. like, uh, it's pretty long and it, it has, has like pockets near the bottom. Pockets. Yeah, big flappy pockets. And it's lined with uh, flannel. No. Yeah. Like, you know, soft. But I feel like it was made by like Nautica though. You know, it was like made by like. Well, yeah, it had who, a Nautica jacket too. I like, remember that's that's my vision of you <laughs> in like elementary school, like you and a friend. Middle school. Middle school. Yeah, middle school oh. was a Nautica jacket. For me, like I was telling you before, jelly sandals. You couldn't get into. <gasps> yeah, them. I was like, nah, nobody can put me into those sparkly things. <laughs> like nobody can like make me wear sparkly things. Well, as I mentioned, they're not friendly uh, when you have sweaty feet. Like, yeah. There's Issue a lot of number one. And sliding. 
<laughs> you you trip on your own chafing. shows from the inside out. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I always. I tripped fog. on my feet. Bananas inside my shoes. I just read an article where uh, they were, they were talking to Jeff Bridges, and they asked him if he had kept any of his his wardrobe or any any mementos from the Big Lebowski, and he actually kept the jelly shoes. No way. So he's got the jelly shoes like sitting in his closet. I don't know if he. Well, like, if you were to keep anything, he lounges around as the dude. But I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> we have to watch it. We will watch it, and it'll be in style. Yeah. We'll like it'll be like a midnight movie at like the Hollywood Forever <laughs> Cemetery, and everybody's like. Singing along. Oh yeah, we did that. Lines. We went to that one that one time. Remember, we went to the out <laughs> that like one, um, that outdoor um, movie thing with the Big Lebowski, and they had that food was trucks. You? Yeah, you, me, Eric. So we Crystal. have seen it. I left like halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> it was halfway through his second. I, would, I had hit my like activity level for the day right in the middle of the movie and i'm like it's time to go it's time to go <laughs> well so really quickly the the one story that i have yeah. about fitting in yeah is that um in the most unlikely turn of events vanessa was found to be fashionable <laughs> and basically uh i was just sitting in class and someone was like you come with us and they were doing who a was bunch it of, was like, it a student or like i think it was another student which okay. makes it worse because they were like she's wearing plaid well, tell what were you wearing? Okay, Go so let me break it down. Like I was wearing my <laughs> low top All Star Converse check, so that's okay. That's, that's pretty. That's fancy legit. For- I was wearing jean overalls, and of course they were baggy. Yeah. And then yeah. we get to the shady part where I'm like, I'm wearing like a Tasmanian Devil shirt because I was like really into Warner Brothers and Tasmanian Devil. Why? They were everywhere. I guess so. It's like it's like I remember like sketching them like in fifth grade. I sketched like, and they had and and I'm sure on your T-shirt like. Tasmanian Devil was wearing baggy overalls. <laughs> like, yeah, it was like, it was like no, an overall wearing, inception. No, it was like they were probably wearing baggy clothes, like, like crisscross. Like, yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. their their clothes were backwards. Do you yeah. remember those? Yeah, totally. Oh my gosh. So, so the Mac then, Daddy and the Daddy Mac. <laughs> it was, it was, it was nuts. Wiggity 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 whack. And start seeing the song sequence. <laughs> Is that like were we leading up to that? I'm when perilously we're... close to actually like perspiring. Like, <sighs> if I blow cool so, air, so you like... were you were okay, okay. you were on the fashion page of your yearbook. Yeah, and um, I mean, and I was also wearing like blue, black, and white plaid, but it wasn't like the small plaid patterns. It was like a like a larger pattern, which I don't think is very flattering on me now. Now that I'm like looking back on it. Also I had a side part and like really short hair. Like like not a bob, but yeah. like pretty close. And I was like, oh whenever I see me with short hair, I like freak out. I'm like, oof, gross. I um, think you in short hair. I'm uh, I can do it. I just don't prefer it. But okay. um so uh but like a girl on the yearbook was like, I N V U, but not like E N V Y. It was N, letter N, and large V. I was like, I M V. Oh, okay, I get it. Yeah. And I was like, why? Why? Because seriously, I like look like I like am from Minnesota and like walked out of a Ross. I'm like, I'm fashion Dude, forward. that was really cool back then. But it, I mean, no, like, no. It, I mean, it, was, it was a fashion. No, if you like look at people who actually wore that correctly, like they've got like the dark makeup and like they look cool. Like I was just like dark duh, makeup. Duh, 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 duh. I don't know, like more. Um, oh god, uh, this is too contemporary. But Janet and um, 
in Mean Girls. Like very like grunge. It was it was a grunge look. It was uh-huh. like Kurt Cobain. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like it was less like I thought it was being hip hop, right? Like, but kind it, of, but it was really kind of like goth <laughs> slash alternative. Yeah. I'm so yeah. conflicted about this image because you're talking grunge or goth, and mm-hmm. right in the center of that is Tasmanian Devil. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like breaking the establishment, but you know what? Tasmanian Devil was a rebel, guys. <laughs> he was like a true rebel. He was like anti-establishment. Your spirit animal back in the day. Or still, I'm just like tearing things. If I up. walk into your bedroom, will I see a poster of Tasmanian? No, devil? you'll just see my crazy-looking room that a Tasmanian devil went through. He oh, just yeah. like spun like a top. Hey. My, no, no, no. Hey. I don't know what your thoughts you're having, but now. stop. <laughs> yes, that's why my room's messy. <laughs> I didn't force the conversation that way. Okay. You're the one who brought it up. I, I kind of did. That was I went there. Um, <laughs> so you, so that's how you, one way that we fit in back then was wearing all the right clothes and stuff like right that. Clothes. I think yeah, that, that ever really changes. Like, you know. that's true. God, yeah, but I, I think I was, it's, it's always kind of like, ooh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it's always kind of weird when you're that young because like you have no idea what those clothes even mean. Right. You know, you're just sort of like. Like signifiers. Yeah. Because a lot of it was like <clears throat> actually like from hip hop and um, some gang culture. Right. And so actually, <laughs> speaking to that, <laughs> like I actually got pulled into the principal's office because like, well, there was a specific incident that happened where maybe I was flashing West Side in a picture. <laughs> and I got like called That's into so the vice principal's office. That's so Vanessa. I think it was that same year. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised that like that year they like they were like you flashed West Side in a picture and they thought I was watching. That's dating me too. But like they're like, well, looks like a duck, talks like a duck. I was like, what are you talking about? And then I realized that's what they literally said to you. Yes, really. My, yeah, because my vice principal was a crazy beep beep beep. You know, like yeah. I I didn't even have to say it. Yeah. I just wanted to beep myself. <laughs> You're welcome, John Nabori. Um, well, when I was a, uh, sorry, go ahead. How does no, that? no, no. It just, that I mean, like it was so ridiculous because I was like an honor roll student and I had no idea <laughs> yeah. what was happening. I was like, why? Yes, yeah, so when I look here? at Vanessa, I think gang activity. Yeah. Well, when I was young, younger than middle school, like uh, maybe like in fourth or fifth grade, I have you know I have older sisters who are like four to five years older, and so they're all into that stuff at that time, and so. Um, uh, they dated a lot of the guys who were very like gangstery guys and stuff, and and uh, so I kind of picked up on all that. And like on like my assignments, I'd turn in, I'd have like tagging on and stuff like that. <laughs> and my teacher pulled me aside and she was like, "I don't want you to do this anymore, April. You're a good student. You're a good girl. Just don't, you know, don't get involved in this." You're going like, down the wrong path. I, know. I was like, "I just okay." <laughs> so. Yeah, but what was your story, Barrett? Well, let's let's, uh, oh, let's introduce our him. guests, and then you can tell all the stories. Oh God! Yes. Okay, all of them for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> Carry it on your shoulders. Go. Um. So hi, everybody. We're we're talking to Barrett today, who is one of my coworkers at UCLA, and um, right it's now Barrett's last name, full name. Oh, full disclosure, Barrett Cororat. Yes. Yes. Cororat. I've been practicing all evening. That's why I have like bags under my eyes. Cororat. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> does that sound like I'm summoning something? Yes. I'm so sorry. I summoned you from the other parts of Los Angeles um, to come onto our podcast. Did you find that in your potions book? Yes. <laughs> oh my God, there are going to be so many. 
<laughs> That's the second Harry Potter reference of the day. You missed the other awesome one. The first one. recorded one. Yeah. <clears throat> Go ahead. So, uh, yeah, uh, he's a graduate counselor at the theater department at UCLA, which is um, I'm also doing um, film admissions right now. So we hang out in the same office and occasionally we get time to high five or pick up Five Guy Fridays. What? Five Five Guys, five guys Fridays. Five Guys Fridays. Pick up Five Guys on Fridays. That's Fridays. That's a light day. Five Guys. <laughs> that's it. Really? Mm. Maybe for you, April. <laughs> Anyway, uh, back to Barrett. So <laughs> I, I broke down a little bit about what you do currently, but tell us like, you know, where you grew up, like things you like to do right now. I don't know. Things you like to do. It's not like it's a single dad, but like, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Do I like pina coladas? Yeah. Uh, I grew up in Fresno, California. Um, I spent most of my youth uh, living in the sun-drenched uh, Central Valley. Uh, was it very sweaty there? It was. It's. Fresno is an interesting place in that it's it's like the majority of the year it, you're either in triple digit hot weather and then it maybe has like maybe a week of in between weather so like I would say fall and spring it's like maybe like a week long and then suddenly it's winter and then you're just like entrenched in like biting cold weather and fog that sounds awful yeah which is why you're glad to be in SoCal I'm sure does yeah. it snow in Fresno no um, I think it snows like like every seventy years. Fresno, the no. This is what happens when I'm with Vanessa. I say the stupidest thing. Don't blame this on me. I don't lower your IQ. I don't go in and be like, let's take it down a few notches. No, I don't do that. But also, if you were really on it, you would say Fresno. I know. Well, I was thinking that, and then I'm like, no, 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 too late for that one. I got to. <laughs> oh, you were setting up for that? Yeah. But you, you salvaged it. It was good. I'm glad we talked about it. Fres at length. No snow. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. Go, go on. Um, tell us about Fresno. No, but like going back to the other discussion about stuff that you like fitting in. Fitting in. Like I was. I was an offender. Like I seriously had all of the trends. Like I. I was a member. I had a members only jacket. <laughs> but members of what? Can somebody tell me? It says members only, but members only of what? Look, you're not cool enough to know, Vanessa. Oh my god! Okay. So if you don't know, then you. I had my Sperry topsiders. Um, oh man, it, this is really dating me. Oh god! Go ahead, do it. We all did um, it. In elementary school, like like third grade, me, I had like the Miami Vice jacket. <laughs> Were you wearing like those like very flamboyant like pink and teal shirts? As it was well? it was a peach colored shirt. Don't get it right. Oh. Whoa. <laughs> Get it right, guys. Okay. Silk, by the way. What? And then, of course, you had to roll the sleeves up on the jacket. Collar popped? Was that a co collar popping era? No, not yet. Oh. Not yet. It was, it was very smooth, very slick. But that's yeah. like, tell me of... <laughs> this is like a history class. Yeah, I'm like... Please, elder... No, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, you know, there I am with, my, with my, my linen pants and my... My mandals. Oh my gosh. Wait, so were your parents like down to help you like Oh my dress? mom totally indulged me. My mom was, was all about letting me Maybe she loved Miami Vice. No. My probably my dad. Cause that's I think I remember sitting down on the couch and watching Miami Vice with my dad. Oh. <laughs> Such that's a loving like, memory. No, that is a good memory. That's like one of those things. Like you know, those things you do with your dad, right? I remember going on my first roller coaster with my dad, so I just feel like that's one of those experiences you like 
Put in your pocket for later. Yeah, my dad was always working, so it was it was rare that we spent a lot of time with him. Usually, our time was spent with our mom. Uh, but um, you do remember those those small things, like every Saturday, like we would sit down and watch Black Belt Theater together. What? What's yeah. That? Whoa. <laughs> <Black Belt. laughs> oh, tell us. Tell us. <laughs> Black Belt Theater was on. Was on. A, uh, it was one of the local affiliates. I think it was either. Thank God for Fresno local 26 or, or 56, yeah. <laughs> and, and it was a, a, a block of, of, of kung fu movies on Saturdays. Oh. And so we would sit down and, and my brother and I would just dream about being, you know, kung fu fighters. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wait, so... And so, it was always right before church. So <laughs> <laughs> we, we, would, we would amp up on, on kung fu movies and then go to our altar boy service. <laughs> You're like, yeah. <laughs> underneath the robes, you guys, underneath the robes, you guys were like... Like punching and Bring kicking. Up the Eucharist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so now that you've introduced um, your mother and father, sort of to us, but um, can you tell us a little bit about your like um, ethnic background? Uh, my dad is ethnically Chinese, um, but born and raised in Thailand. Um, my grandmother uh, emigrated from China to Thailand during the revolution. Oh. Cultural revolution, mm. and so you know, there's lots of interesting stories that my dad has told me uh, just about sort of that journey, and some really colorful highlights of like my, my great grandfather. Apparently, he was uh, a kung fu master himself. No me, way! Yeah, to, and it's in the plot. I know. <laughs> it comes naturally to me. Can't <laughs> my cat-like reflexes. Um, and my mom uh, is a is a bit of a mix. Uh, my my great grandfather uh, is Mexican. Uh, and he came to California to help build the Southern Pacific Railroads. Wow. And That makes uh, him kind of Chinese, actually. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's Mexican. And then uh, my, my great-grandmother is, uh, is a mix of French, Spanish, and, and what have you. So, um, And then my, my parents, they met each other when my dad came to the U.S. Uh, for school. I don't know why he chose Fresno from Thailand, uh, but he went to It Fres- was the obvious choice. It was, wasn't it? Um, he, he went to Fresno City College and uh, they met at a party. And my dad, as, as smooth as he was, you know, saw my mom across the room, said hello and, and, and asked her to help him learn English. Oh, <laughs> so smooth. <laughs> and, and, and suddenly here I am. <laughs> Did you have conversations with them about that, like where everybody was from and things like that? Strangely, you know, my dad was was sort of very traditional in the sense that he he was very stoic. Um, we didn't have like in depth conversations, um, not like my mom and I did. I think of the two of them, my mom was definitely the more emotional uh, one, and so I I think I learned a lot of my ability to express myself from her. Um, so my father was, you know, out bringing home the bacon. Uh, and so, you know, to, to really pin him down and, and, and get some information from him, um, it, it, those, those moments were few and far between. But, you know, it, it, I think what happened was, you know, my brother and I just sort of grew up actually sort of a little closer to our Mexican heritage just because that's where the majority of our family was. My, my father, while he came to the U.S. with his brothers um, and some friends, the majority of them went back to Thailand. And so, you know, we didn't have as much of a connection to our Asian heritage. Um, 
so while he was working, of course, you know, my mom would take care of us. And so everything that we learned was sort of just exposure from her experience with her family and just growing up in Fresno um, because there's, you know, a few generations of my family, of my mom's family in Fresno. And so, you know, our, our experience growing up, though, was very, I don't want to say homogenized, but, you know, it was very much about just sort of like status quo and fitting in. Mm. So, you know, Fresno itself, I think it's a very, it's, it's a very blue collar, middle class um, place to live. And so, you know, sort of being able to sort of find yourself on the same level as a lot of people is very important. You have to be able to connect. And if you don't connect, you're sort of an outsider. And when you're an outsider, it just becomes difficult. Right. You know, and I think, you know, in school, when you're a kid, it's already a pressure cooker. Mm-hmm. You know, the, those those moments where you have to find the right thing that everyone's wearing or you're watching the right movies or you're reading the right books, et cetera. You know, you want to be able to be able to speak to that because if you can't, you're not in on that conversation. When you're not in on that conversation, you're always left in the margins. And so my, I think, you know, it was one thing I picked up from my my mom and actually my grandma too was just that, you know, you want, you really wanted to to be able to, to fit in and, and, and be accessible. Mm. I think for my grandma, I, I noticed when I was younger, it was, it was important to her that in her family, they were all very light skinned. And so, you know, she took a lot of pride in that. Yeah. And so when, you know, my mom came up, uh, she, she's, there's a little mix in there too. Um, and that's ambiguous, and, and that's a long story for a separate episode somewhere else. Um, uh, you know, family secrets and drama. Um, but, you know, she was a little more olive-toned. And then, you know, when she met my father, my father being Chinese, um, I, and, you know, for, for him, I think, you know, growing up in Thailand, he was probably very light-skinned as well. Mm. Um, and in Thailand, they have a whole separate, um, different... Uh, 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 viewpoint on 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 color and, and race mm. um but you know i think there was some concern about a my father being a foreigner mm. um and b you know just sort of mixing us together but you know out came my brother and i and, and we were just sort of this weird enigma <laughs> of ethnicities and so i think uh just the the attitudes that we that we experienced because of that really did sort of shape the way that we grew up what were those attitudes were people like, I mean, like, it's so hard when you're a kid because maybe you don't quite feel it or it's just sort of like reactions to you are just how it is. Yeah. You know, in hindsight, things are a lot clearer. I can sort of analyze and say, okay, oh, that's what that was. Mm-hmm. But I, I think definitely as a kid, you know, you, you, you have those moments where every time you meet somebody, they sort of look you up and down and they ask, what are you? Uh-huh. And, and that was how I met so many people in my life that that's how the conversation started. Mm-hmm. What are you? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you take a minute to explain and they just sort of go, huh, okay. And then once they sort of have you categorized in their head and then they proceed. Right. Um, but, you know, I don't think there were too many instances where uh, I felt like there was on the surface real adversity. Um, but I, I think definitely there, we had a couple of times that I can think of just where people would sort of, you know, laugh at us because we were, we looked Asian or, uh-huh. or more visibly because we were with our father. And, you know, I, I learned the term ching chong pretty early on in my life. Right. Um, and to think of it now, you know, you think, man, that's really messed up. Mm. But 
that was the time and that was the place. Right. So, um, but I think my brother and I really did sort of stick to the margins as much as we could until we got to the point where um, either you wanted to fit in or you didn't. And and I think for me, growing up, I, I, I saw a lot of value in, in being able to be one of the popular kids uh-huh. and, and fitting in and, and, and being one of the group. And, you know, now as I get older, I realize that, you know, obviously that was not probably the, the, the healthiest path to choose. But at the same time, it... it it, it was a survival tactic. Mm-hmm. And I think definitely being a kid of mixed race in a place like Fresno in, in the 80s, uh-huh. it, it definitely helped to, to be as active as I could in, in sort of differentiating myself from, from this sort of enigma that I was and right. being a little more uh, accessible to the group. Right. When did, when did that transition happen for you? When were you like, oh, I need to be part of this particular crowd? Um, I, I think there were shades of it probably in like early elementary school, but really it hit me in middle school mm. and, and middle school was a completely different place because, you know, you go through elementary school and if you're in the same school, you have the same faces all around you all the time. So you have a lot of familiarity, you have a lot of connection and, and you don't feel as uncomfortable around them because you've, you've been with these people for years. Mm. You go to middle school and then suddenly there's like this whole the new gauntlet. mix of people. Yeah. And um, a lot of different attitudes, a lot of different um, sort of subcultures coming from different elementary school campuses now convening into this one horrible, judgmental place of middle school. And so, you know, I I think it was then that I realized, oh, man, I have to start from scratch. And, you know, suddenly I was the nerdy kid again. And, you know, I I had to really prove myself as as something other than the, the stereotypical Asian, you know, math nerd. And and I did that very quickly because math was one of my worst subjects. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I mean, you, you know, once again, you're categorized. Once again, you're sort of separated into these little um, subsets of, of this middle school culture. And you have to sort of fight and claw your way back up to um, some 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 level of of acceptance. Did you achieve your middle school dreams of being part of the, the crowd and less on the margins? Not really. <laughs> I would say that didn't happen until probably maybe my sophomore year in high school. And at that point, I think, you know, you go through the ringer. And in Fresno, I went to a magnet school. um, And so, like, kids were bussed in from all over the city into these these college prep schools. And so the the, the middle school that I went to um, was parented by the high school or or vice versa. There were were components of each other. mm -hmm. And so, um, so a lot of kids that graduated from our middle school immediately went to the high school that it was connected to. And so that just sort of continued this whole um, pool of, 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 of individuals that you sort of had gone to school with for two years. And, um, and you sort of familiarize yourself and then you see each other evolve and change. You know, adolescence is already a weird thing, but you know, when you're in this sort of weird small culture of a magnet school, um, you really do have to try to uh, embrace each other and support each other as much as you can. But at the same time, it's still high school. So you still have to judge each other and, and compare yourself you know, to, to the next person. And so when, when you were like navigating sort of the social world, um, of middle school and high school, did you, did you, was it consciously trying or were you consciously trying to sort of downplay like your, your heritage that was sort of, you know, different and not embraced or were you just like, this is me 100% and like, I'm going to be myself and make, you know, show you that I can be as this and as that. I think I saw an evolution. There was definitely a progression from, you know, 
getting tossed in, into trash cans in the seventh grade. Oh, no. Oh, that was you. So that was me. And that was me doing it, by the way. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. With our Tasmanian devil shirt. <laughs> um, to, to going to high school, and I think the difference was, you know, people started to look a little less at what you looked like and more at what you were into. Uh-huh. And so if you mm-hmm. had a lot of common ground in terms of what your interests were, what, you, what clothes you wear, what music you listen to, um, you find a lot more connections and sort of people look at you at that level. Uh-huh. Uh, and so I think the change really happened around sophomore year when I found just a real core common group of friends and we all just spent time together. And And because it was a magnet school, it really was sort of a melting pot. So mm-hmm. it, it wasn't really uh, an issue where there were cliques of, you know, okay, the Asians all hang out together, mm-hmm. you know, the Mexican kids all hang out together. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really just, like, because we were in a magnet school, we were we were all nerds. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, like, you know, there, there was just, okay, the popular nerds, the it's less popular nerds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the gamer nerds, you right. know. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I, I guess at that point, I, I'd suddenly reached the upper echelon of the popular nerds. <laughs> um, How and, does one achieve status like that? Well, Vanessa isn't. <laughs> Let us tell you. <laughs> Explain. I, I don't know. You you just you just have you know access to the the right crowd of people. I guess you know you 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 like you like things like Twin Peaks and, and that's what I the just cool got a Twin Peaks shirt. I, I'm so happy it's coming back. Oh, I'm yeah. so excited. But. <laughs> You watch, you watch weird TV and movies, and, and, and you, you listen to, to Bobby Brown. So it was kind of know. like alternative culture a little bit, like being into that, and like being feeling like you're ahead of the curve. Like you weren't into, I don't know, what was what was like a really cool TV show when we were in high school. Yeah, like but like you know how Buffy's cool, but like a certain subset of cool, like yeah. geeky cool. Yeah, and then like and then you also watch Dawson Creeks. Yeah, which is what Dawson Creeks. Yeah, more than one. <laughs> There was a little river. <laughs> <laughs> that pier, there was more than one. Who's, was it Pacey's pier? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I didn't watch that show because I wasn't, apparently. Pacey's pier? Right? What? Wasn't he, wasn't his, wasn't it from his? Okay. I don't know what you're talking about. I, I'm not even going to try to analyze Dawson's We're going to get that out. <laughs> We're going to get out Pacey's pier. Because <laughs> you're embarrassed for me. Okay, but... um. So, yeah, I was just curious, like, what were, you know, like, the cool kids into? But but I'm curious, too, um, in all of this, what was your racial identity awareness? And w- were you? I think some of us aren't, like, w- for me, like, in high school, it was more being aware of, like, being Asian American or Chinese American and those having those two things because I wanted to not be fully... Chinese or what we would call a fob, you know, more immigrant status, you know, but, you know, I don't know what everybody's like racial awareness is. I, I think for us it was different because we were already in a college prep school. So to a certain degree, some, some of who you were was already proven. Mm. Um, and I think for me racially, it, it was more about the common denominators than anything. Um, I think subconsciously, I think I felt a lot of pressure because perhaps I was not living up to sort of that, that model minority, minority stereotype mm. of, of what it was to be an Asian-American kid growing up in Fresno. Um, and what was that specifically, do you think? Because I, I, I had my head in the clouds. I, I was into pop culture. I was, you know, I was a good student, 
don't get me wrong, but but I, I wanted something else other than to be the smart kid. Um, wait, wait. That sounds lame. <laughs> Why wasn't that your goal your entire life? Sorry, uh, go on. You know, I love movies. I love music. I, I love to dance. <laughs> I'm a, an artist. Yeah. Put a funky beat Dad. on. Yeah, I was, I was, I was ahead of my time. Surely, <laughs> had America's Best Dance Crew been around when I was a kid, I probably would have aspired to that. Don't, don't give up on your dreams <laughs> to be the best American dance crew. I'm just messing things up, Pacey's peers and stuff. Anyway, so, um, <clears throat> so, um, did you have other kids around you who were trying to like achieve that, and what made it? easier for you to choose like a different path for yourself was it something that you felt in addition to vanessa's question was it something that you felt a pressure coming from your community your family both definitely my family Uh Um, my community i felt like to a certain degree was non-existent because my my parents really were very protective of us us. Uh and so we i I have to say honestly we didn't get out much Mm -hmm. so my view of the world was really skewed finally when i went to college and realized that there's a whole other aspect to life other than being under the protective wing of my my mother and father but uh, but because of the pressure from them i think definitely um i i felt certain inadequacies when i wasn't performing as well Mm -hmm. um you know obviously i had to, to you know I had the same talk that anybody else has with their parents about getting straight A's and doing well in school and succeeding, going to a good college. And then, you know, once you go to a good college, then you have all the success in life, mm-hmm. which, you know, that's working well for me right now. <laughs> but I, I think it was just a matter of just sort of meeting those expectations of a, a traditional Chinese father mm-hmm. um, having very, very high expectations for, for what his sons achieved. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my mom, you know, being... You know, an only child um, in a very large family of cousins and, and, and aunts and uncles, and 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 she felt very much like she was the black sheep in her family, and so I think she carried a lot of that um, over when she raised my brother and I. And so, you know, we always felt like we were sort of fighting for something more, for a better life, or for something better for ourselves. And I think part of that does sort of translate into my sort of cultural identity, even though at that time as a kid. I really didn't want all of that laid on top of me. I really wanted to sort of push it away and say, no, I don't want to focus on that. I just want to be who I am and I want to dance. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm a dancer. It's always going to come back to hip hop dancing. Please. But, you know, like I, you know, in high school, I just, I, I, I found the most ways possible I could try to express myself, whether it was the way that I dressed or the music that I listened to. Um, and that's where I started off basically in the same path that took me to college, which was writing poetry. And so I ended up being like the angsty kid in high school. <laughs> I can't even believe I'm talking about it. This is so cringeworthy of my, of my I, I wrote a little poetry. Yeah, I think, uh, I think we yeah, all wrote a little yeah, poetry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kept writing poetry in college, and it continued to be terrible. So well, I mean, good company. <laughs> as an English major at, at UCLA, I, I got into the creative writing program in, in poetry, and I was able to, to, to get my degree in that. But... But after that, I, I graduated, and that took me nowhere. So I, I had a completely different path since then. But I mean, it was all about finding a way to express myself and trying to fight this this feeling of of of, of people putting labels on me. And, and really, that's that's all it was. I think it was a matter of just trying to to define myself rather than letting others define me. Um, but when I got to college, it was an entirely different beast because there you had to be identified. You and then you had to have a faction to 
ally yourself with. Yeah. Otherwise, you really just sort of floated around in the middle yeah. and you didn't have a full rich experience. Right. At least that was my experience as as an Asian American or as a Mexican American or just this hybrid amalgam of what I am. Right. Um, so, you know, I remember going up and down Bruin Walk and then, you know, you had all the different groups there. And, yeah, flyering. Yeah, flyering and yeah. talking about like, come join our, you know, our club and we can do all these cultural um, activities, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it felt like a tug of war with me again, suddenly having to define who I was and, and people giving me a lot of attitude for, for not doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there I was trying to sit in the margins again and, mm-hmm. and, uh, on, you know, I was, I was feeling this pressure of like, I had to, I had to find something to do with myself in terms of finding a support group because there you are in college, just giant university. And, you know, the only other person I had was my brother. Mm-hmm. And so was I, he there too. He was, we lived together for our first year, first two years. Is my he first older years. or younger? He's three years older than me. So okay. he had already been at UCLA. Okay. Um, but I think the unfortunate part of that was that I didn't get socialized in the same way. I, I didn't live in the dorms at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I lived in an apartment with my brother and, and his, one of his roommates. And, you know, the, the, mo- the majority of my experience in college was just sort of me going to class and then me coming home and then working. And so, I, you know, I didn't have as full a college experience as I think I wanted to. Um, so the, the few you know, moments that I had in between all of that, trying to find, you know, a group of friends and, and, and some place to really sort of, um, call home as it were. Um, it, it was, it was a very trying experience. You know, that's actually, it's so funny. Like I'm listening to you speak and it's so familiar to me because that's totally what my experience was like too. Like, and the fact that you didn't live in a dorm, I, I don't know if that would, for me, I lived in the dorm and it didn't really change things. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and it, it doesn't for everyone. Yeah. Like, and you know, I was, my experience was also like, you know, going to class, coming back and then like just having a lot of like alone time and like, you know, um, expanding, exploring my very rich inner life, you know? <laughs> through poetry? <laughs> through poetry. Yes, that's through, exactly what Or dance. Through Napster. Yeah. <laughs> And, and associated ripping piracy <laughs> platforms. Um, LimeWire. But yeah, like, you know, it was really hard. I don't think I, I ever did really find like an extended support group. Like I wasn't part of anything. Um, but, that, you know, I did make a couple of good friends here and there. But yeah, I didn't like to bring it back to like racial identity. Um, I didn't join, you know, the Filipino whatever club. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, I didn't really want to because I didn't I never really associated myself socially with Filipino people anyway, because I never really grew up with Filipino people um, as, you know, a a large population. Mm. Um, My sister, she went to UCLA. She was part of um, the Chinese American Association and like, you know, did all that stuff. So Nini was. was? Yeah, Yeah, the same one. I think the same one. Yeah. my brother was part of the, the Thai oh, Student yeah. Association. Yeah. And so he did a lot of like volunteer work and, and stuff through them. Yeah. But, and, you know, he, I think he tried to include me, but after a while I just felt like, okay, this isn't me. Yeah. Mm. And, I, you know, th- you had those conversations with yourself where you really tried to figure out what it was you wanted and who you identified yourself with. And, and I, you know, I mean, as, as embarrassing as it is to say now, I think when I was a kid, I sort of ran away from being clumped together with one group. So if I found myself in a, in a room full of, of Asian people, 
I would feel very uncomfortable after a while and I'd have to go find some diversity. Uh-huh. Um, and the same thing if I was stuck in a room full of, 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 of you know, people of Latino or Mexican heritage, you know, I, I felt comfortable for a bit because that was what I was most familiar with as a kid. But after a while, I felt like I needed to, to branch out and find something else to find. And I don't know if, I, if it was finding something more mainstream or finding something more sort of just, I don't know, middle of the road, but I definitely felt like I, 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 I was a little claustrophobic in those situations. Uh-huh. And so when college came around and you have, you know, you know, Chinese Students Association and then you have like La Raza and both yeah. of them are like, join our group. And, yeah. You know, and it's, it's, it's an odd place to be when you spent most of your time trying to run away from it. Right. And now you have to run towards something. Otherwise you're, you're, you're left alone. And so, you know, you, you go to class, you go to work, you feel really lonely, you, you go home and you write a poem about it and listen to it here. So. <laughs> did we all save our stuff? I actually did. I don't think I did. I think, well, no, I don't think I did. You're just saying that so that we can't find it. But no, that's so fascinating to me because I guess, like, if I think about it too, I've had a similar experience, but I've actually blocked out all those times where I wasn't fitting in in college mm-hmm. um, just because... I think like, um, you know, you have a narrative of the time that you spent, you know, in the past with something and high school is all about like, um, you know, trying to fit in, right. And trying to find something or, and then you realizing you're an outsider and you don't fit in anything. And then college is where you find yourself. Right. But I definitely didn't have that experience, but I also don't remember how much I felt ostracized in my own fellowship group, which was an Asian American Christian group, which something I should have felt like really comfortable in because you know like like the language that you were speaking is the same and by that i mean like uh, the cultural code that you speak like christianese slash asian american christianese which is Mm -hmm. like a different subset altogether Mm -hmm. and then um you know i just didn't feel like part of the crowd and actually my four years of being part of that um, fellowship group was like a little bit of a struggle because i always felt like i didn't want to practice my faith the same way that they wanted to or different things where you're like i'm different you know, and like, so that same thing of trying to find the margins. And so like, once I felt comfortable in a group, I would then kind of branch out and try to reach out to the people who are also on the fringes. Cause you find that, you know, like we're, we're just the same or, you know, like not something like, so like after school, especially, but like, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> that like say, so, so for, for a long time, I wasn't part of the leadership and I found that a point of contention because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I want to do all these things. And, you know, I felt really excited to be part of the group, but then like, I wasn't part of the leadership, which I thought like, well, somehow I'm still locked out of the club, you know? And like, obviously I must still have like feelings about this because it's still on my mind, but you know, like I would try to do things that were different. So I would try to like, I was part of, <laughs> you guys are going to laugh. Well, um, like, uh, the ministry that does more art stuff, you know, like, so sometimes they would put on dance, but I wasn't a dancer. So like I would move towards like different things, like spoken word and stuff like that. <laughs> and like skits and <laughs> April's trying to hold it together. Cause she's imagined me doing interpretive dancing. I'm sure. I would love to watch you do some slam poetry. Oh man. Oh my God. That would complete my life. <laughs> Have you seen 22 jump street? No. Yes. Oh, God. I died. There's a slam poetry. Wait, wait. Are, can we talk about she's all that for like a hot second? <laughs> Hack E sec. Hack E sec. Come on, Freddie Prince Jr. in the role of a lifetime. Do it again. Do it again. No, no, no. I need a hacky sec. I need to like get the rhythm of the hacky sack, right? <laughs> but 
You laugh, but that was such a vulnerable moment for him. As a character, yes. <laughs> but at the same and time, for Faye Evans Jr., I'm sure. I'm, yes. He's like, I'm putting my career on the line. Um, Mr. Buffy. Yeah, Mr. Buffy. Yes, we took it back to Buffy. Yes, uh, we'd also like to mention that all of us here are We Didn't fans. Uh, Yay! Yeah. Let's, take a, let's take a break from the series for like a yeah, let's second. Do it. Woo. Oh, also, you're probably very sweaty. Yeah. <laughs> the Bear's, second we started talking about Bear's slam poetry. Shay. I know, things like... got hot and heavy in here. It's like, woo! Bring it back, bring it back. Oh. I also got a Buffy shirt in addition to the Twin Peaks shirt. Where are you getting these awesome shirts from? Um, Society6. Because, you know, it's kind of like threadless, but it's not just um, t-shirts. It's like posters and blah, blah, blah. And so I could have gotten it as a poster, but I got both as t-shirts. Or actually like tank tops, because I like tank tops better. But there's unisex, so they're kind of big. They don't quite fit me right, but... You're going to have to do like Jesse Spano, like tank top with like thing under. Jesse Spano. Yeah. I mean, by the bell, it's like a big hot topic now. Oh, I know. I haven't watched that. I haven't either. Um, Okay, wait, wait. So, so yeah, it's weird that in college we feel this pressure to, again, belong to something, Mm -hmm. you know, to to, to something. And I think, like, for me, like, I talk about it a lot, but, like, I forgot that part of that narrative of kind of, like, feeling very lonely during college was because, you know, like, I didn't feel like part of this inner circle. And because for me, it was always in my head, it's always like, oh, I couldn't find people to make intimate connections with. But they come hand in hand. Like there's a there's a feeling that if you are part of that crowd, then you have an in and then you can make friends. And these are your friends and your friends are the cool people or Mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that's what it sounds like. Well, I I kind of am interested in taking this because I know we talk about like our college and high school years Mm -hmm. but like how about as adults like exiting exiting college like how never exited that (laughs) mentality so well here's a good question you mean Uh do you did you make good friends in college and if so do you still keep in contact with them i mean like people who i still keep in contact with well a couple of them i technically knew in high school but i became really good friends with them in college and then maybe like actual just college people maybe like one or two people yeah, I don't like I made some friends in college and they've all just sort of disappeared. Mm-hmm. But um, I started working in college. And so I found that the majority of my social outlet now as an adult all stems from my work life wow. uh-huh. and just finding more commonalities with people that I have, have been in the trenches with. Yeah. Um, more so than I ever did in school. And mm-hmm. I think that's very interesting, too. Mm-hmm. Um I think this is a sharp contrast from my wife's experience because she went to a very small liberal arts college mm-hmm. and she has like a sisterhood of friends that, yeah. that they all still keep in contact with each other and they're all still very close knit. And I think that's amazing. Um, and, and I didn't have that. And so oh. I think I found that in, in my, in the workplace and with people right. that I had, I'd worked with. So a lot that's of my really best friends cool. that I still talk to now that I'm very close with, um, they all came from like my first couple of jobs. Right. That's really cool because I feel like job stuff is like very seasonal. Like you stay there and then you're kind of friends with them. And then when you leave that place, like contextually, you're not, there's nothing that ties you together as much. Like, like how we consider class friends, like when you make a friend in class and then you're done with the class and you're like, peace out, you know? And so that's, that's kind of cool, especially as an adult, you know, like carrying that into, you know, like 
your interactions at work because i think sometimes we expect work to be so collegial but Mm -hmm. really it's (laughs) it's work yeah it's i think it's kind of like a narrowing down you know you're in the university setting and it's like boom you're stuck in the middle of this giant map and you're there to fend for yourself whereas when you're in the work environment it's been weeded out for you now you have this small group of people and your task is to then connect with some of them Mm. so you know definitely I think I've had a few different careers and a lot of different jobs, but there's that feeling once you walk into a new environment with a new set of people, um, you do that little dance, you know, you sort of test each other out. And then as soon as someone says Buffy, you're like, boom, okay, you and I are friends, <laughs> you know? What was that moment for you and me, Barrett? Was it Buffy or was it something else? Um, Cause I can't do Doctor Who. I'm sorry. It was something comedy. I think we were talking about comedy. And then I, I realized that we had very similar tastes in, in what we liked. It was Flight of the Concords. It was something really recently, right? Was or it, was it? Well, was it Tig Notaro? Yes. <laughs> you, nice. you, you introduced me to Tig Notaro, um, and I was already a huge fan of um, This American Life. So, like, you would, I would have some small exposure to to the name, and. Um, and, and so I think it sprung from there. And now we recently found out that we're, we're both the stalwart fans of, of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Yes. Oh, <laughs> that was the moment, though, that like really cemented that. Because like, before, I was going like, yeah, you know, Barrett, he's cool. I like Barrett. Barrett like, keeps it real in the office when the office is crazy. You know? but, then, but then as soon as we had a Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me moment, it was just like, because who else likes Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me? My aunt. I love Wait, Wait, Don't <gasps> Tell Me. You Can do? we all be friends? Yeah, I love This American Life. I love Tig Notaro. For you. Wait, you, yes, yes. Because <laughs> April's the one who introduced me to Tig Notaro. And then I listened to that podcast where it was that excerpt of her comedy uh-huh. show. You actually, no. Yeah, I was that? at that. Oh, whatever. So cool. <laughs> but Wait, tell, wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Like, it's so, it's, it's, it's like a subset within a subset. Because everybody knows This American Life. But not everyone's like, Peter Sagal and Bill Curtis, you know? It's like, yeah. Uh, I feel a little, little nerdy. I feel a little hipstery, but it's fine. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot, hipsters? Now I have to reject it. Just like I've rejected plaid and overalls. <laughs> but I still got my Converse. I've rejected tattoos and facial hair, so there you go. <laughs> Good for you. I still want a tattoo. Why do you reject tattoos? I'm interested, because I, I kind of have also. Um... To be fair, I think in college I really wanted one, but I was I was really persnickety about it, and so I was always looking for the right one. Okay, that couldn't be right. That's not right. And then I thought, okay, I'm going to design my own. Yeah. And then I I spent a lot of time really trying to draw something that mm-hmm. I was happy with, and I was never happy with it. Uh-huh. And eventually, it got to a point where like I just okay, I'm over it. Yeah. I, that that time in my life has passed. I think it also has to do with my my best friend having uh, an affinity for tattoos and he got some really cheesy tattoos yeah. he got the barbed wire on his arm. <laughs> flames yeah he, he got the, the anarchy symbol on his calf and i realized okay that looks ridiculous and so i realized is he also an investment banker or like so, like something like completely opposite than like strangely what? yes <gasps> no what? He, no he's not a banker but he 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 works for a bank a, a large corporation at the very corporate level and so uh, it's funny to see that he's like Mr. Anarchy, Mr. Punk Rock. And then professionally, he's the guy that has to be the rules and the regulation, <laughs> which I thought is the funniest thing ever. But it, it works for him. So. Yeah. Okay. I think now things are definitely are, like, are, are, are we settled with our like cultural identities? Like, 
are we do it you know well those things are constantly changing <laughs> yeah. identity shifts <laughs> that's really nf perspective sorry and by nf i mean idealist and by that i mean kiersey do you know <laughs> are, we, are we doing a kiersey break we stopped doing that yeah, Maybe. we did no well we did discuss it with jenny i don't know if people actually care uh johnson infj okay that makes sense are we doing this actually he might be an enfj is he more e or i yeah we're, we're about to do this who okay. john i feel like you're an Why are we talking about? oh because you're going <gasps> through no way are you an infp or infj <gasps> you're an e i'm, I'm all i'm <laughs> con- i'm con- discombobulated here because barrett is you, breaking all the rules you were just as surprised as i was uh, i recently did this with this program that I'm working in and, and part of it was doing the whole Myers-Briggs thing. And, uh, and I've done it before, definitely, um, over the course of all my different careers. And I've never really been a big believer in it. Um, but strangely, I feel like it's, it's gotten really, really accurate. And I don't know if it's because I'm just a lot more comfortable <laughs> with who I am now and my right. identity, but, but um, I, I took the test again recently and uh, I'm now an ENTP. <gasps> no way. Yeah. Wait, what were you before? Um, you're a T. I was an I before. Oh, you're an INTP. Yeah. What is that? Okay, so actually, my roommate Cheryl's an INTP as well. It's the um, architect. Yeah, the architect, and then ENTP is not the field marshal, the inventor. And um, you know, like all rationals, uh, you you like to see yourself as very like resolute and um, independent, like self-sufficient and brilliant. And um, you're all about making processes more efficient. But um, I find that interesting because I think you are very expressive, but I think you have a very quiet presence, which is why I thought you were more of an I. Like, I was thinking, oh my gosh, after this podcast, he's probably going to go home and just have to like curl up in the ball, which is what April does after every podcast. She's just like, and now I hibernate, <laughs> you know, because she's got to like store up her energy for the next social interaction. Um, and then, uh, wow, you're a tea. The other thing that threw me is because you're a very warm personality. And I think teas often tend to be more um, a little bit distant when you first meet them. But, you know, I think Cheryl and you are very, and Dean, um, her boyfriend, is also very, like, very warm teas because, you know, they're usually very, like, objective, distanced, and, and they can feel cold and aloof sometimes. I, I do get that sometimes, though. I think people do feel that I'm, I'm distant and aloof. Um, I, I think I do have my tendencies, definitely in our office where, or in any workplace, I, I feel like I put a high value on professionalism. Mm, yes, please. Um, particularly because, because I work for the state. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> I, I'm not going to talk about any workplace in particular just because that seems like a bad thing to do. Yeah, yeah. But, I, you know, I also value professionalism in the workplace. <laughs> Like, let's just keep it fresh, little people. Yeah. But, you know, you, in any workplace, things come up, conversations are had, and you just feel uncomfortable. You know, you, you, there are certain types of conversations you just don't want to be a part of. And so um, having experienced that through a couple of different careers, one of them being in entertainment where everything is inappropriate. Um, oh, boy. And now that I'm in an institution where I work for the state and, you know, I have to represent for, you know, not only my school, but for the department and I advocate for students, yada, yada, yada. You know, I try to maintain... Uh, a more even-keeled sort of mm-hmm. presentation of myself, but well, you the know, state thanks you. <laughs> <laughs> the state thanks I'm, I'm sure they do. <laughs> um, but outside of work, I'm a totally different person. I'm so 
less appropriate <laughs> in my life and just personally. And, and, you know, my wife and I have a lot more um, open conversation just about anything, you know, I mean, and I think that's going back to sort of the topic. I mean, one of those things that, that always comes up in conversations, you know, personally is, you know, there are discussions about race on a re- fairly regular basis, but that doesn't come up at work. And that certainly doesn't come up with every group of friends that I have. Mm. But, you know, I, I think those are the times when I sort of button up and, and become a little more reserved. So sometimes the feedback I get is that I come across as distant or aloof. Hmm. That's too bad. So, I mean, like, not that... I think it's it's nice to, like, have a good rapport with your coworkers and things like that, but I don't know. I guess every office is different, you know? Like, every career is different. Um, yeah, in the industry, like, professionalism isn't valued as highly, I think. Strangely. I had it... I had an, an interview, and, you know, I think it turned out that I was one of two finalists for the job, and I didn't mm-hmm. get the job. And I, I called back and asked for some feedback to, oh. see, to find out, okay, what, what, what made you go with the other person and not me? And they really didn't have an answer for me, and you could tell that they were sort of struggling to find the words. And then they actually told me, you were almost too professional. Oh, they wanted someone more jokey. That they, they wanted could be someone more personable. With. And I thought that was so weird to hear from an interview that you were too professional. You know, and I think I, I show, you know, enough personality in any conversation that I'm having that you can get a good sense of who I am and, and what my sense of humor is and what I'm about. But, but that was the call out. And I, I took that to heart. And I'm just now I'm thinking, okay, in the future, whenever I do interviews, I have to be a little more informal, mm-hmm. which is strange to me. Yeah. Or is it also like a discussion of like how... Um, not vulnerable, but like how opening up yourself up to some scrutiny, like kind of like you have to put yourself out on a limb sometimes in sure. terms of exposing who you are, right? I feel like you're probably really professional in the office. Is that true, April? Except with very specific people. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. like right now, she's like, she looks the most professional ever. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I'm, I'm the boss. <laughs> No, yeah, I, I, I do, like, and I think it's just sort of, I revert to, like, you know, being proper and professional. Um, Wait, quickly to, sorry, I don't know I, if you had more, but do you think it's, like, an Asian thing? Could we say that this is maybe also, like, a default to, like, there's a certain set of protocols that you know, you know, like, a certain way to, that you're supposed to act, and so you default towards that because you don't want to shame your family or your, you know, like, or like, that's just the right thing. Like that's the right way to do it. And I think like, um, I've been doing a lot of, uh, reading online about like, um, different ways of looking at the world. And I think if I were to venture, you know, a, a hypothesis, I think like, um, a lot of us are taught like, this is the right way, you know, mm. like, this is the right way and the only way. And um, I mean, this is not exactly work related, but I went to visit my my boyfriend's um, family for the first time. And, you know, I brought gifts because, um, you know, they were yeah, you gotta, you're flying to us do up that. and stuff like um, that. And he was like, you really don't have to bring gifts. Like, seriously, you really don't have to. I'm like, you think I'm a barbarian? Like, <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean not bring gifts? I'm like, are you crazy? <laughs> like, what kind of, like, it was almost like, insulting for him to think that I wouldn't do that you mm-hmm. know like like, to, like give you a pass 
Like, I know what you're supposed to do in these situations. <laughs> and that is the right thing to do. And I will do that thing. You know, like, are you crazy? Um, gives you a little insight into what our relationship is like. Um, but, but yeah, like, and so the same thing goes for your professional life. You know, like, you show up and you act as if, you know, you be a professional. I but I mean, like, I've been at my job for a really long time, so... So you can just yeah. go wild. Some of that Crazy. stuff kind of slides. <laughs> Bring those Twin Peaks cake tops to work. We work our whole life to create a, a picture of us to other people that we want to ma- maintain. And most of the things that are kept silent are kept silent to protect that image that we've been trying to make. So I guess fear is the biggest silencer. Hi everyone, this is Vanessa. You just heard an excerpt from my doc, The Laundromat, a personal exploration of the silence and shame in Asian American culture. If you'd like to contribute your story or learn more about the doc, visit atthelaundromat.com. That's A-T-T-H-E laundromat with an O dot com. Or visit our Facebook page for The Laundromat Documentary. Thanks. Talking more about like work life and adulthood and things like that. So, Barrett, you're a new father. I am. Shall we talk about that for a second? Sure. And 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 what what fitting in can we're, we're just going to try to marry the two back. <laughs> <laughs> fitting in, race, culture, all that. Are you just stuff. throwing out words like buzzwords. Yeah. Rep sweats. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Explain what rep sweats is, and then we'll t- we'll uh, ask Barrett about all that. Are they not? Oh, is it specifically just for like well, it's industry? More like, yeah. Well, it's representational anxiety. So like whenever you see yourself on television, oh, okay. you get scared of how is this going to go down? Yeah. So if we, if we do come back to Fresh Off the Boat, we can talk about that. Okay. Rip All right. Rip Okay. <laughs> so do you, do you and your wife have, um, have you, have you and your wife had discussions about like how you want to raise your little, very cute daughter? Oh, definitely. My, my wife is the thinker, the long-term planner. She's a very practical one of the two of us. Mm -hmm. And so even before we we started trying to have kids, it was, it was one of those topics that always sort of came into play whenever we we had that, that serious moment, which is usually like in the middle of a TV show I want to watch. Or or when we're ready for bed. (laughs) And I'm really tired. (laughs) That's, That's Awesome. And yet not. Okay, go on. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I'm this amalgam of, of what I am, and she's African-American. And so when we, you know, really sort of thought practically, and I know that's a weird thing to think about when you're thinking about having kids, but when you think about it practically, you, you know, you, you know there, this is still the world that we live in where there's still, you know, race is an issue as much as people want to avoid that. Mm-hmm. And so we had to really think about the impact that it would have on our child and, and, you know, when she grows up, you know, how is it going to be for her? Now, you know, you see this whole new generation of, of, of kids, of freshmen coming into the school and they're so bright eyed and they have such different, <laughs> they have such different um, perspectives of the world than, than I had when I was a freshman. And so things, things have changed a bit, but you know, then you see like all, what's going on in the rest of the country where, 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 where cops are beating people up left and right. 
and you realize, okay, certain things haven't changed at all. And so mm-hmm. what do I need to prepare my, my daughter for? And so, you know, drawing from my own experiences, I just really hope that, that my wife and I are able to instill, and I don't even know how you do this with a kid, but instill some, some self-confidence into their own identity and, 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 and some pride in who they are. Mm-hmm. Not just not just ethnically, but also you know personally, mm-hmm. you know, their personality, their interests, and and to have some some convictions to stand up for. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's a, a lot of our friends right now are having kids, and and so it's it's just this sort of this weird place to be in in my life where now I'm I'm thinking a lot less about myself and my identity, and 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 focusing more on. What are this? What is this generation? What is this group of kids going to be like? And how do we sort of, not not even just focus on our own kid, but sort of spread that, that 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 goodwill amongst mm. that entire group, and and hopefully they all sort of grow up mm-hmm. with the same set of beliefs and mm-hmm. understandings. So, in the future, you know, things will look a lot better than they are now. And, and not to say that you know things are horrible now, but things could be a lot better. Are there things like culturally specific that you want to be sure that your daughter grows up with, like from either you or your wife? Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because I, I, when, when I look at how I grew up and the things that I tried to avoid, now suddenly I find myself having to run towards, uh-huh. I have to really go back and now sort of research my Asian heritage and, 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 and think hard about the traditions I grew up with just on both sides of my family uh-huh. so I can pass that on. I think my, my wife definitely has a much stronger sense of her heritage mm-hmm. and, and family and she's got a very large extended family. So um, there's plenty of opportunities that we can expose our daughter to that, that she can get that half uh-huh. of, of, of her heritage. But but for me, it's going to be a bit more of a challenge. I mean, I, I have my, my parents and I have my brother and his wife. But, but beyond that, it's just it's me having to now draw connections for, mm-hmm. for myself and my child. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's sort of like a, me rediscovering myself, as it were, to, to, to make sure that she knows exactly, you know, what her cultural heritage is. And hopefully she has some sort of connection, if not traditions, to her Chinese heritage and her Mexican heritage. Very cool. Are there anything specifically that you would do different um, from your mom and dad? Not not that you're like, I don't want to honor that thing. But That's a loaded I don't, question. Oh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, if you don't want to answer it, it's fine. It's But like sometimes you're like, you know, I don't know. I'd probably say I love you to my kids a lot more, you know, um, like growing up even into adulthood. Because I think we heard it to maybe a certain like point in our life. And then it was like more in cards and it wasn't as spoken, like more overt. For me growing up, love was always there. My, my mom was a very, just like I said, she was the emotional sort of ground for our family. Um, my dad, while he was always working, he, he did express himself. Um, and I don't know if it was just because my, you know, it wasn't my mom's influence on him or that's just who he was. Um, so that certainly won't change. But I think um, having some realistic conversations with my child that I think my parents probably had a tendency to try to protect us from. Mm. I think I would have those conversations with my child earlier on. So she has a better understanding of the world and, and, and the challenges that she will face and, and hopefully give her some tools that I've gained over the course of my life and pass them on to her and hopefully she can put them to use way earlier than I ever did. Um, I think certainly... Um, the discussion of, of race will come up probably a lot more um, actively, proactively, 
um, and hopefully she will understand where we're coming from. Um, obviously, I think in any situation, you know, you, you can learn a lot from your parents just constantly talking in your ear, but it's never going to really stick until you experience that thing for yourself. And then you draw back to that moment and say, oh, that's what they were talking about. Mm. Um, so I expect that. But at the same time, I, I really do want her to absorb as much as possible and, and be able to have a, a, a different and better experience than I had growing up. When when we were talking about all these things about fitting in and not fitting in and feeling in the margins and stuff like that, what do you like? What's maybe one thing now, at least, what that you're thinking through of telling her? I know um, you said you're still trying to figure that out. No, I you know honestly, it's 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 really about you have to be able to be comfortable with yourself and not care about what other people think, and I think that's the the long running thread throughout my entire life, of you know the things that my my mom is anxious about, you know, and the things about things that I was anxious about of fitting in, you know, she was desperately trying to fit in with her family. Um, and so, you know, when I came around, she really sort of instilled this idea of sort of fitting in. And so it, it really wasn't a conversation about, okay, these are the challenges you're going to have because you're Chinese, because you're half Mexican, because whatever. She was just sort of pushing me towards, um, assimilation, an ideal oh, I see. that she had rather than, you know, sort of the the current reality of what, we, of what we were. And, you know, you know, as I grow up, you know, we all have complicated relationships with our parents, but I, I, I start to see and understand things that perhaps I didn't understand when I was younger about my mom's experience and what it was like for her growing up and, and, and really seeking that ex- acceptance. And, you know, I, and seeing how it sort of bled through how I grew up and how I believed in certain things. And now I realize, okay, that was a really backwards way of, of looking at it. What's an example of that? Um, okay, well, this is this is going a little a little deeper. Um, it, it wasn't well received that that I married an African American woman, uh-huh. and so a lot of that conversation was definitely about what are people going to think, mm. um, and read into that what you will. Um, but uh-huh. but you know, I think in that instance, it's a matter of me being able to define what about this relationship is important to me mm-hmm. and how do I explain that to someone else so that it's never a question or a matter or a conversation about what everyone else is going to think, but mm-hmm. what the personal value is to me in my life and why it's important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that conversation definitely has to be had, I think with any child, but particularly my child, um, that... Um, people are going to find things about you that they're going to single out and, and not really um, be kind about just because you're half black or you're mixed race or you're a woman. Um, and I think it, it's really a matter of hopefully finding a way to instill some pride and to instill some strength in her that if conversations come up, it's not a matter that she has to defend herself or prove herself or measure up to someone else's expectations, but rather that she is, is comfortable and happy and strong about who she is as an individual and being able to present that to the world rather mm-hmm. than working so hard to assimilate. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. I feel like all those late night, right before bed conversations really, really help. Let's get in bed, guys. Let's <laughs> just, take a nap. And- just like, but right before we go to like close our eyes, we're going to be like, but wait, what about shame? 
Um, Wait, what about shame? <laughs> well, actually, I mean, I did have this question, but before that, before we move on to like this discussion of shame, but um, while Barrett was speaking, it was so appropriate because Peanut just like tucked his head into like Barrett's like the crook of his arm, and it was yeah. like the most comforting image ever. I was like, if only people knew how soothing Barrett's words are to the rest of this world. I felt the love. It was like right? an awe moment. And yeah, he, he just nestled right in. He just kind of looked to you so. He doesn't really like guys either, right? Yeah, he's very um, picky when it comes to guys. Well, congratulations! <laughs> yes, <laughs> I guess um, I, I, we're 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 at about time, but like, I did want to like ask really quickly. Um, you know, when we talk about Asian American culture and you know um, the idea of shame, and I think there's also senses of that in the Latino culture as well. That idea of like collective living and and like being judged by the community yeah Uh yeah very centered in like what does the community think of me like what are some good things that you can take away from that because i think a lot of times and and this is thanks to russell jung that we vilify you know um this idea that you know shame shame and silence are like always negative like always something that's gonna haunt us you know he's the um san francisco state uh professor who was in my doc who was talking about shame versus guilt Uh uh-huh and I'm, I'm curious if you've ever thought about, like, you know, um, what are some good things that, you know, just growing up that we love? And I think you've thought about that a lot, April, and just, like, how you really are learning to appreciate um, the way you were raised. But also you can acknowledge, you know, some of the ways that you don't want to pass this thing on. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think, um, you know, it's a double-edged sword and you really have to sort of differentiate between like the good things and the bad things and you know that being said there's no perfect way to do it you know like we're all human we can't execute everything perfectly especially when it comes to something as challenging as like you know raising some another another human human being being. (laughs) (laughs) you know like you're gonna screw up and that's just part of it but you know um you know you just try your best, I guess. But um, I guess, like, yeah, I have been thinking about it recently about, like, the things that are really fantastic about, you know, the upbringing and, um, you know, uh, and you don't really appreciate it until, I think in a real way, until you come across someone who doesn't have those traits that you have, you know? Like, my parents raised me and my sister to be, like, confident and I don't know if it's real confidence or what but whatever it is we believe we can do it you know like when there's a challenge there's nothing that will stop us from being able to do it if we put our mind to it if we work hard enough if we educate ourselves about it you know like um feeling confident not feeling like anything is out of our reach just because of the difficulty or because of who we are being females being minorities you know like nothing should be a boundary whether it actually is in real life is um, you know, something else, but it's not in our minds, I guess. Um, now I guess the downside of that is like, you know, you Barry, we're talking about this kind of like really, really, really difficult expectation to live up to. And when you aren't able to meet that, it, it's very, um, scarring and very like, Mm. it's like you, your personal worth is based on achievement rather than who you are, you know, just being you. Mm. And I think um, that would be sort of like the downside of that, where like when you're raised in such an achievement-based family or society or community, 
um, when do you actually appreciate just who you are without having to work for it, without having to like, you know, accomplish something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's just something that I myself in my mind, I'm even just beginning to, um, to explore, you know, like, um, like who am I if I am not my accomplishments, you know, mm-hmm. like, like my identity other than that is not just something to kind of poo poo and like, you know, sweep, you know, aside and like it should, that's actually who I am, you know, like, because I think accomplishments are very ego driven, you know, like, or, you know, um, that's how you see yourself. You know, it's all about building up your ego and how you seem to other people and all the things that you, um, uh, value about yourself, but really like what, what is true and what is inside, you know, and that's, that should be cultivated and it should be, um, appreciated and yeah. Cool. I don't know. I just kind of went off. I don't know. That was that good? good. No, no, that's exactly what I wanted to talk about, you know, like, cause we're in a place now where we're like, we've got all this perspective and we can talk about what it was like back then, but what does it mean now? And what does it mean for, you know, like you're saying yeah. future generations. Yeah. So, yeah. So like, that's what I'm trying to work on now is like, you know, what it, what is life if not your, the goals that you've reached or hmm. for the sake of showing that you can reach them, I guess. Yeah. Um, being a good person, all that. <laughs> Perfect. And now we start a poetry jam session. <laughs> um, No, I I definitely think that just sort of like having the perspective now that I feel like I'm like, I don't know if I'm middle-aged or not, but like versus of of my experiences versus (laughs) what I saw for myself uh, when I was much younger, there was a lot of soul searching involved in terms of figuring out what I wanted versus what everyone I thought expected from me. And, you know, there were, there were definite moments in my life where I think I felt certainly in the depths of a depression mm-hmm. and, and, and really v- trying to figure out what my worth was. Was it the sum of my accomplishments? Because I felt like I hadn't really accomplished much. Um, and I think one of the real changing points in my life, strangely enough, was uh, when my best friend passed away. Um, and, you know, we had to, we had to go to Japan and, 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 and pack up his belongings and bring back his remains for his family. So a group of friends of mine did this. And, uh, you know, certainly that experience and, and seeing someone that you love and, and their life wrap up in a certain way, um, it gives you some perspective on, on what's important. And at that point, I realized it wasn't so much what I was doing, but how I was spending my time and mm-hmm. if I felt fulfilled doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, because any time at work is time away from my friends and family. Right. And after an, an, an emotional experience like that, you really start to put time with your friends and family much higher than anything else in your life. And so I think that really sort of turned me around in terms of looking at my self-worth and, and sort of valuing what I did or what I've done in the past and really identifying exactly, you know, what was important to me. So, you know, all the, all the expectations, all the shame I felt, um, in my younger years sort of washed away. And I was able to sort of really feel a lot more comfortable in my own skin. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, knowing that going forward, I'm still going to make mistakes. I'm still not going to get it right. Mm-hmm. Um, but as long as I'm true to who I am, true to the people I love, uh, I think that that will put me in a good place. And, and hopefully that will set a good example for my daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because as much as I want her to believe that I'm infallible, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty certain I'm going to prove otherwise. But um, as long as she knows that I, I put in a good effort and that I, I did everything with love, then, then things would turn out okay. Um, and you said there was a lot of love already growing in your household. Um, what's some of that, like what we were talking about before, just coming back to like some of those positive things that maybe from your Asian American side or from your Latino side that you really want to bring into the conversation with your daughter? You know, it, it's, it's very different for everyone um, in terms of family. Um, but one of the, the things that my, my parents both really tried to instill was the importance of family. Now, you know, sometimes it's the family that you're born into. Sometimes it's the family that you choose. But I think family is important. And, and having a connection with people that will support you um, and have that be a reciprocal relationship. And having those healthy relationships, I think, um, definitely will carry on through through your lives and, and, and enrich them and, and hopefully make you stronger. And, 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 and at the points when you're at your weakest, they will be there to support you. Um, so, you know, in terms of what I learned from my parents and, and that feeling of love, it was definitely just a sense of support. And, you know, no matter what differences we had or, or how many different times we were, we were at odds with each other. We still loved each other and we still supported each other. And, and, and you know, we, we tried hard to, to at least make each other understand um, that didn't always work in my case. Actually, for a lot of my life, it didn't work. But, you know, at least you tried. But at least you tried. You put forth the effort. And, you know, I think as long as you say your piece, um, there's not much you can do. I, you, you can't really dwell too much on the things that aren't working at a certain point in your life because it's just going to hold you back. Mm. Um, much like in, in, in high school and college, me focusing so hard on all these outside influences in my life, I should have just been focusing on who I was and what I wanted to accomplish. And maybe things would have turned out different. But it, it, it's, it's being self-aware, and that's, that's difficult for anybody. Oh, you know? there's that word, self-aware. <laughs> yeah. but, but family is important, no, no matter if it's blood or, or not. Cool. Thank you. Um... Um. <laughs> we can we can end now. I have like I can I can also answer the question. Yeah, but... of course. Go ahead. No, I don't want to end with me. Why I not? I don't know. I'm always talking. <laughs> oh no, I'm tired. Take oh. your face off the mic and answer the question. <sighs> all right, I'll contribute. Um, well, no, those were all awesome answers. And what's great is that because I asked the question, I got to hear all your answers and then come up with <laughs> my amazing answer. No, I think um, one thing that I appreciate and love about my family um, is that uh, the generosity and the hospitality that's involved um, with the way that they 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 um, really treat one another and um, guests. And I, I definitely am trying to live that on. And that sounded weird. <laughs> Live, um, carry carry that on um, yeah so you know what i'm talking about but basically you know like make sure that and that's the whole thing about eating together i think that's a thing um of course i think that too much of it is like not as good because sometimes then the generosity and hospitality makes it feel conditional like oh you only really are connected to that person or they'll only really love you if you're like a generous host or like, do you know what I'm saying? So those things that become so entwined with who you are that you're not sure like why you're doing something anymore or, you know, where that can turn 
um, into something negative um, or twisting, like, you know, like when you twist love um, to be conditional and to be um, <clears throat> self-serving instead of self-sacrificing. So, but for the most part, I, I you know, like, I think that's one of the most um, awesome and most beautiful things about my family is the way, you know, that they treat guests and, and bring bring other people into the circle of our family because I think all the significant others have always felt really welcomed and there's no like like this like you're in period I think there is like secretly and it's not as stated <laughs> you but, have like meetings like, like this person in or out yeah like we in have a board meeting <laughs> we're all dressed in black and sunglasses for some reason we're actually yakuza um you're the reservoir dogs yeah <laughs> we have a Mr. Pink and a Mr. White and uh Mrs. Yellow. No, Mr. White. Oh. <laughs> that person was rejected long ago. Um, oh my. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, like, um, yeah, it just makes, it makes, it makes introducing people to my family, just like a really enjoyable experience to, to see that amount of like love just shared and poured out and, you know, like resources are open to others, you know, it's just like, coming to my house and coming to my fridge, you know, like it's that, it's that action. So, um, but yeah, of course it's always a double edged sword with anything that's good. There can always be a way to make it not How as is hospitality bad. When it becomes, like I said, conditional, oh, like okay. where I always feel like I have to bring something to someone's house. And then if I don't, I feel awful, but sometimes you just can't. And like, you have to forgive yourself if you can't, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, but I, like it becomes like a thing in my mind. Like, uh-huh. oh my gosh, I I must bring these cream puffs to this place because <laughs> I know this person likes them. Or else the world will end. Yes, and and you know it becomes a thing in my mind. Um, or or vice versa. Like, if I don't um have all the salami and cheese out all at once, like I'm being a bad hostess. Or, I don't know what it is. It's like really little things, you know, and so. Yeah, that's that's how it can be bad. Hospitality in itself is not a bad thing, though. So, um, any any, any closing thoughts? Do any songs that talk about fitting in? We should that's just we one. just mix it in and tell them that we sang it. <laughs> <laughs> Once we secure the rights. Yeah. Oh, geez. Wait, rep sweats? What? <laughs> Did we bring it back? You have to explain what rep sweats is because you said it like four times. And now we need to come back to fresh, fresh off, off the, the boat. boat. Oh, geez. Um, well, I don't know. We're, we've got at least an hour of content. I can talk, keep talking. I think this is going to be a okay, crazy Okay, so rep sweats, just look it up. Vanessa's never going to define it for you. Rep sweats. <laughs> so hard to edit sweats. this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we should talk about rep sweats eventually, but it's basically... Um, the funny way of saying representational anxiety. So when you or someone that you identify, like a group that you identify with is, is portrayed on television, then you are nervous about that representation, whether it, and it usually has to do with like minority culture, because this group or this television show or this person, this character, this theme is going to, um, you know, it carries the burden of portraying you in a way that you feel is positive or that. And now it's more like you don't want the portrayal just to be not positive. You want it to be nuanced. You need it to be complicated like you. And that's so hard when you're doing a, you know, for Fresh Off the Boat, you know, they're working with ABC. It's a national television show. And, 
you know, there's an article where Eddie's like, I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say America's great. I'm just not going to do it, you know? And you have to deal with all your, you know, various feelings about... Do you get rep sweats with this podcast? You know, that's weird. I haven't thought about that. Is that weird? I... I'm always getting rep sweats. I'm getting rep sweats thinking about what happens when we go to iTunes. Because there's that moment when I said, I don't think white people feel this way. And then you're like, I don't think you could say that, Vanessa. I was like, oh, no. (laughs) I'm going to get skewered on the internet, you know, just because. And then other people are going to, like, jump to my defense. And there's going to be a flame war. It's going to be great. (laughs) You guys should totally come. (laughs) It's going to be so flaming. Flaming hot. Cheating. But, Yeah. With limon. Because <laughs> I had the spice, you had the limon. I think that's a great word. We're a great word. Cheetos. Well, um, thank you, Barrett, for coming on and bearing a little bit of your poet's soul. That uh, was awesome. Uh, oh, God, we me. have to like bring in our. We got to do like a poetry slam with all three of us. Oh, God. No. <laughs> I'm like really, really worried. I can bust out some old high school poetry. It'll, it'll be horrible and embarrassing. I don't know what I was doing, guys. I was just like writing words on the paper and feeling things. I think I read a couple of your poems, Vanessa. <gasps> oh. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm proud of that. Like, I, I actually use poetry to, like, express myself. And, like, I found that to be a medium. But I'm I'm very sad that those things exist in the world. Like, can you give us a little, little poetry, but say do it in, like, a slam poetry voice? No, I, I would have to, like... Just make it up. Like just Mary it. had a little lamb. Yeah. Just be angry about it. Yeah. Yeah. Wait. Do one about Asian Americans. I'm not Eddie Huang. I'm not Jenny Yang. I'm not Christian Wong. I can't do that. I can't just drop drop a beat. You could be if you wanted to. And then wouldn't that be great if like we recorded something later and then we cut it in? I can't drop a beat and then I'm like boom. Cheetos con limon. Cheetos con limon. That's all I got. All right. We'll try again next time.